you got to want to be the best and you got to want to beat your friends out for the top position. If you're okay with just hitting your numbers or sitting at 80% of your quota, like maybe sales isn't for you. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Carly Prunier, live and direct from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, Carly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Just to give the audience, the listeners, a little bit of insight about you, it's a little quick and dirty. Before working at Memory Blue, you're a criminal justice major. Yes. Two years working for the Massachusetts trial courts. Join Memory Blue, which we're going to get into. Join Memory Blue and Coin Sunday afternoons with Carly. I did. One of mine and Chris's favorite things to talk about. And now you're an SCR at Sneak, getting ready to do bigger things for them. I hope so. That's the goal. Well, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Honored that I was asked. All right, well, let's get into a little bit. What we want to do is get the audience a little familiar with you. And the best way to do that is give us like a quick little brief rundown of kind of who you are, where you're from, where'd you grow up, a little bit about that. And then we'll then we'll kind of take it away from, we'll get the Westfield State and then we'll go from there. Perfect. Yeah. So I grew up in a suburb outside of Boston, like 45 minutes called Franklin Mass, home of the first public library, actually. You know, went to Franklin High School, typical, and then didn't want to leave Mass. So I went to a state school in Mass because I want... I knew I always wanted to go to school for criminal justice, was aspiring to be an FBI agent my whole life was just a goal. So Westfield State had a really good criminal justice program. So I went there to study criminal justice, graduated with the bachelor's of science in criminal justice, then got a job working in family court, probate and family court in Western Mass in a city called Springfield. It's not like the safest city, big city. Let me get into this real quick. So you grew up, while you were growing up, your mom was in sales. Yeah. So my dad, an FBI agent, so I was going that way. My mom was in sales, just kind of saw her like always traveling, you know, being the saleswoman that she is, you know, always talking, always doing this, that. So I kind of was against sales for a while just because I didn't think I realized until, you know, I graduated college that I am my mom's twin. So our personalities are very similar and I never realized that and was just kind of being that bratty 18 year old, like, oh, I don't want to do it. My mom does when she was kind of being like Carly you kind of have the knack for it and I was like uh mom I don't I don't think so you know I want to go the other way so so when you were growing up and you kind of your mom thought you had this knack for it and we'll get to when you got to Springfield Mm -hmm. what were those things that you now you look back on you're like okay Yeah. So I've always just been like, you know, could have a conversation with the wall. I can talk to anyone. And I also, she was either like, you're going to be in sales or you're going to be a lawyer because I don't like to back down or get told no. Or, you know, I always have a point and my point is somehow accurate, like to my beliefs. And I truly believe that, you know, say we were, you know, arguing about something, my points were valid and I could, you know, have that good rebuttal. And, you know, I just kind of had that people skills, you know, talking to people, chatting with people, being personable you know getting to know them and she just kind of saw it in me right away and I guess she saw things that I did not see but so you went to school criminal justice and then what did you think you're going to do like when you're in your senior year of college 
Yeah, so I was, my goal was to apply for the FBI, but you had to be 24. So when I graduated, I was 22. So I was like, you know what, like, I'm just going to apply to work in the courts, kind of get some familiarity with the law, this and that. And, you know, I always liked kids and people. So I was in family court and I kind of like, I liked it because in the sense I was talking to people all day, but again, talking to people who didn't want to talk to me, dealing with child support, custody battles, divorces, restraining orders. So it was tough. And I think the moment I realized that it wasn't for me was, when people were, you know, I was, you know, a great employee and doing this and that and taking over other people's jobs and people were getting promoted over me that, you know, were sitting on their butt all day, had been there for 30 years and didn't even know how to turn on the computer because it was all about your seniority level rather than your ability, your skills and ability. And, you know, after watching that happen time and time again, I got very frustrated with it and was kind of like, you know what, like working for the state, working for the government, it's not for me. Um, and that's kind of what I talked to my mom about for a while. And I was like, I am just miserable. Like I'm working my butt off, but I'm not getting compensated. I'm making, you know, crap money, not loving going, like, and I want to love going to work every day. And that's always been my biggest thing. So I just wasn't happy anymore. And I know I needed to make a change. And she was like, try sales, you'll be good at it. And I was like, I don't know. And here we are. So did you ever talk to your dad about it and, and where he, because he was on that path and that was the path you were ultimately on. Did he, did you ever have those conversations where you could say, Hey, Carly, listen, I know it is what it is, but just stick with it for another year or two. And then you can be in the FBI. Yeah. So he definitely was like, kind of being like, I mean, do what you want to do. My parents are divorced, so they totally see separate ways. So if I was going to be with my, you know, do what my mom wanted to do, he was kind of like, <laughs> and then my mom was like, don't go into the FBI like your dad. And then, you know, it kind of came to the point where he kind of saw that I was struggling. I wasn't happy. I was, you know, frustrated going to work every day. And I just didn't like, I like to be this happily bubbly person, like naturally. And he kind of saw that I was like drained and exhausted. And then he kind of was like, you know what, like you really do resemble your mom. Like, I really do think that sales could be a fit for you. All right. So what happened then? Like, how, when did, was it a moment in time when you were working for the courts in Massachusetts? So, you like, like, I need to go into sales or how did it, how did it evolve? So actually I like kind of took a, I was like, I need to get out of here. My mom was living in New York city at the time. I took a Friday off, took the train from Western Mass to New York. One of the, my first weekends visiting her there when she started her new job, had never been to the city. She kind of wanted to make me feel welcome. So she invited one of her SDRs that she thought I was so similar to. We were talking about it and she ended it up she's from memory blue alumni so she was like hey like i know this great place where you can get your foot into sales because i was like mom like i'm 23 i have no sales experience like i graduated in criminal justice i don't know anything about sales i didn't even know what salesforce was i remember like going into an interview my mom's like just say you know salesforce and i'm like like i had no <laughs> clue anything to do with sales or even what the job was like and this caitlin garish a memory blue alumni she was caitlin garish yes all right, mobile so, iron days. Yes, mobile iron. You know, my mom, she was working for an SDR for my mom and my mom brought her out for drinks with us. Just not even like talking, you know, about sales, just like to have someone my age there. And I was like, oh, you'll love her. And she was like, hey, like, this is a great place to get your foot in the door. My mom's like, whoa, really? Like, I've never heard of that. Like, that sounds awesome. And so that kind of was the turning point. I was like, you know what? Like, I'll apply. And she was like, I know like Jeremy Wood. He's awesome. He's, you know, just started the Boston office. Like it was perfect timing. So okay. that it just randomly happened like that because I like my biggest thing was that I didn't have the confidence that I knew nothing about sales coming from that background. And I was like terrified. I was like, I'm not going to be good at it. I don't know anything about sales. 
so Carly, how did Jeremy Wood react when he heard you knew Salesforce? <laughs> so Jeremy and Rob joke with me. Jeremy didn't want to hire me. I will say that I was Rob's first ever hire. I never let Jeremy get Rob, that down. Rob, Rob Gonzalez. Rob Gonzalez. Yes, he's a, a DM in the Boston office. He had yep. just got promoted. I was his first ever hire on the scorecard that you do. They told me that I scored perfect and that it was too good to be true and that I rigged it and that they shouldn't hire me because my scorecard at the time was so perfect. And Jeremy and Rob later told me they were talking behind the scenes like her mom did this for her. like. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, like I went in there like saying I knew nothing about sales. And then the mock call, like my mom like set me up for such success that Jeremy was just like, this is too good. Like it's too perfect. And Rob was like, I want her. And so it was still a joke. Every time I see Jeremy at a first Friday, I'm like, remember, you didn't want to hire me. <laughs> I love it. All right. So you ended up working for Memory Blue somehow, some way. You're in New York. You found out about it for the first time. And meanwhile, there's an office in Waltham. Yep. And the, yeah, the Waltham office had just opened. I sent, and I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I sent Caitlin Garish my resume that Monday. And I think I had, it was my first ever sales interview and first ever sales job. Wow. Okay. And this was back in, um, it was October. in October. Go ahead. 2019. October yeah. 2019. October 2019. So that was, it was quick. It was a quick turnaround. Yeah. I graduated in 2017. So yeah, two and a half years after I graduated. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then what was, so what were those early days like? I just remember flying to DC and I was so excited. I'm like, wow, like a company's paying for me to fly to DC and stay in this beautiful apartment. Like I was used to working for the state where they won't even give you like a diet Coke for free. Like, I'm like, wow, I'm like being flown out to DC. Like, this is super cool. And I was like, okay, like I could get used to this lifestyle. Like, all right. And so, you know, went through all the training and it was scary. Like being in, I, I was like, I think the last training class before the actual like Academy days, I remember Kristen, Wisdorf led my training and I was like, wow, like I want to be like her. Like that is the queen right there. So I just remember like <laughs> she reminded me, she reminded me so much of my mom. And I was like, okay, like this is like kind of like a sign. Like I am where I'm supposed to be. And like she was super hard on me in the, you know, like the mocks and all that. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I was like, all right, you know what? I kind of like this challenge. So yeah, those those days at the academy, then we got Chipotle catered for lunch. And I was like, wow, like this is really too good to be true. Oh, man. We got to get everybody to work for Massachusetts State Courts before they come work for us, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that for a minute because sometimes we're hiring people right out of college. And while well, you were more of a career changer, right? You had two yeah. years in a different environment. And I think that that helped set your perspective as well as you, you learned some things along the way that you were able to bring with you into this job. So talk to us a little bit about, about those things. Yeah, so I definitely think one thing different is like, for me, I knew how bad it was on the other side. A lot of people I think coming into this role are just, you know, the biggest change for them is working 40 hours a week. And that is a tough change, but I was working those 40 hours a week and I was miserable. So I think, and I was talking to people, getting yelled at by people, fighting them to pay their child support, like dealing with the worst of the worst. So for me, like I could see how much greener the grass was on the other side and like how much better it was in a, like even just like a mental mindset to be out of there and in sales that like I just appreciated working at Memory Blue because you know I'm the top performer and I didn't have to do the dishes in the Boston office you know at the end of the day and like it's like those little things that you don't even realize or like even appreciate like if you didn't have that career change and you didn't see you know another 40 hour a week job that I was able to appreciate and like loved all the you know the little things of you know just doing different things like even like oh you know you have an hour lunch break when I had a 30 minute lunch break and had to clock in and out for my 
lunch break and you literally at the court punched in on a time card. Like I was like, come on, 20, 2018. Like, why am I punching in and out on a time card? It was just kind of like that being like people could think that SDRs are micromanaged, but like working for the court, I saw how different it was to be actually micromanaged and there every thing you do is watched and when you go to the SDR role it could come off as that you're being micromanaged but you're just actually being trained to be good at your job and it's actually mm -hmm. beneficial for you rather than just for the best of the state or the court if that makes sense yeah so you, you definitely got perspective for sure mm -hmm. but there had to have been some lessons or some things that you learned along the way or in the time that you served that you were able to bring into the SDR role yeah, I, I talk about the like the biggest lesson I learned was just kind of like stay true to yourself because you can lose your temper when someone is yelling at you because they lost custody of their child and you can take that personal and you can take that home with you. But I think I was able to learn like to not take work home with me and to kind of have that fresh mindset of, okay, like work is work and home is home and to have that different work-life balance because it can be hard. And especially even now, it's still hard harder for me some days working from home, but you you learn to not take work home with you and like you know obviously there's days Sundays when it's beneficial to work outside of your working hours but I think you know one of the lessons I learned was like to not let that rejection you know get in the way of you doing your job and being who you are and just kind of take it with a grain of salt and just keep on like pushing and just know that you are capable of these like things if you just push through it. And describe a little bit about your coworkers in the court mm -hmm. and compare to your coworkers as an SDR, because I think that's an important thing that people may underestimate how, how critical that is. Yeah. So my coworkers at the court, I mean, they were people who have been working there for 45 years who are 65, 70 years old that it's, I mean, I can t have a relationship and talk to anyone, but it's just such a different culture. It's almost like a culture shock going to the court. Like I can't imagine ever starting as an SDR and going to the court because when you're at the court, it's age ranges from 75 to, I was the youngest, I was 23. The next oldest person was 32. So it's just like, you don't have anyone your age. So you don't get that fun environment and like, you you're dealing with people who are grandfathered in so it's tricky because they are so grandfathered in and they're so set in their ways that you kind of have to cope to their ways like you can't kind of go off and do what you want on your own your ideas aren't you can't have a different idea or a different opinion because it's been that way for 45 years that's all they know they're just counting down the, every day they have like sticky pads of their days till retirement instead of like being happy being at work having that work fun and then you have like the people who like and they're not happy people it's because it's a draining environment and the things you see are draining but like a lot of people let that get to them and a lot of people are even like working with like 45 year olds like not that that's old but you know they're dealing with different <coughs> they're dealing with different things in your life and that's who you have to relate to that's like the closest person to your age you know a mom with two kids that's complaining about going home and you know make what's for dinner and stuff like that and then coming to memory blue it was just like a complete 360 i was gonna say 180 it's not even a it's a complete like turnaround that you actually have people that you can relate to and talk to and bond and share ideas and everyone is so young and motivated and excited that it's almost like motivating in itself as opposed to everyone just counting down the days until they can retire and being miserable and just waiting till 4 30 hits to go punch out i think what you said earlier is so fascinating too not fascinating i mean we get accused of micromanagement sometimes 
I mean, you said it really well. It's not micromanagement. You're actually being trained to be good at the job, right? And that's hard for people to digest sometimes if they've never had another work experience where they're truly being micromanaged or if they don't really see the forest for the trees, which is it's hard to get good at the SDR job. Mm-hmm. Right. You only get good at it by being trained and by doing it. So let's talk about that. So we tricked you. We got you to DC, put you up in a nice Airbnb and gave you like a decent catered lunch. <laughs> and you're like, the best ever. And then you had to go back and start doing the job. Yeah, like? it's scary. I'm not gonna lie. Your your first cold call is terrifying. In you know your second, <laughs> it's terrifying. I'm not gonna lie to anyone. It's but it's like it repping the. It, I would say everyone just get on a cold call like, after you learn your product. Get cold called and completely butcher it. And who cares? Like I think just ripping the bandaid off. Once they answer and you start talking and like you're shaking and you're like super nervous and you just rip it off. It's like the bandaid's off. You just kind of gotta go for a while. I was like really terrified of the phones. I even hated call breakdowns because I was like oh Rob my DM guns off micromanaging us because we have to go listen back to all of our cold calls and everyone has to hear me on the phone talking about how bad I butchered that call and how many likes and ums I said you know 500 times and that can come off as micromanaging and it's scary and you don't want to listen to yourself and it really does work and now I've brought that to sneak and my team does call breakdowns and <laughs> I still don't like it but I still no. think it is so it is so good and like I think if you didn't see the other side of it it can come off as like oh why does he have to like listen to my call like, I know I completely murdered that call like it was bad it, there's so I know what I could have done but truly like you don't realize how much it does help and it again it goes back to your peers the same age they're they're telling you the same things and you're like okay you know it's not a 65 year old lady telling you what to do it's someone who's my age you like, you know what? Like, this is what you should have done. Yeah, no one likes how they sound on the phone. Like, maybe Morgan Freeman or someone, but like, <laughs> no, nobody likes what they sound like. And those, they're kind of dreading, but that's how you improve. Mm-hmm. And, and to just tell for the folks who are, most people know, but some of the people don't know who may be thinking about coming to work here, just tell real quick what a call breakdown, what those are. Yeah, so call breakdowns, we did them twice a week. So I think once a week, you could bring a call that you thought went really well. And then one week would be like, all right, you're going to bring this call where you had the objection of I don't have the budget. And you know, over two minutes, it's not gonna be a 30 second call. And I don't have the budget and you didn't book it and it didn't go well. And it's not in your favor. And obviously, it's like no one likes to like look at their losses, but maybe it was someone you should have booked. So everyone in the team brings a call. I mean, we sat in the Boston conference room and Rob played the calls out loud. And then I remember one thing I really liked that Rob did was we went around in a circle. So first, like he'd be like, we listened to my call. He's like, Carly, what did you think you did wrong? And I would be like, you know, this, that. And then he's like, he goes around to all the peers first before giving his input of what you did wrong. So instead of just being like, hey, Carly, you should have done this. It's what do you think? And then, okay, everyone like Carly thought this. So how could she have changed it? Rather just being like, you did this and this and this and this and this wrong. So I think, again, like that team aspect of your peers being your age and kind of being like, they're doing the same thing you're doing. No one's superior. No one's better. Doesn't matter, you know, where you are in the leaderboard. Some people are really good at talking and like you don't see those things. So. What would it get to some of the things you did well, but what was something about your, yourself on the phone, particularly as you're kind of moving to a newer, as you sort mm-hmm. of, you know, embark on moving your career forward, what are some of the things you learned about you being on the phone? Like, what did you get good at from those call reviews or from the experience? Yeah. So even now, like I picture it, like I'm going to go call my best friend and like don't tone, I think is a lot. And like your tone fluctuates. And if you go into it being like, Hey, this is Carly. Did I catch you at a bad time? Like it, they can sense your nerves. Like kind of, you have to go into it with confidence and just, even if you don't have the confidence, kind of like my mom always taught me this line, like 
walk like you mean it. Like talk like you mean it. Like you might not know what the heck you're selling. Just if you sound confident, like you can do great things. So, and I think on the phone, like it's easy to pick up if someone's quiet and not confident. So I think I always go into it, even every dial I do now, cause I'm just like, all right. Oh, hey Mark, how's it going? Did I like those little things? Like even if you use your mannerisms while talking, they make the conversation more normal and they make it less robotic, less scripted. And if you're confident, you can sell anything, even if you don't know what you're selling. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and who were some of the colleagues you were rolling with when you first started back in those days? So I sat next to Katie Lowry and she was actually a huge help to me because every she was the only other person on like a cyber campaign uh, and she was the only other girl on my team. So it was just, we sat next to each other and I was really able, and she is so good on the phones and she is so articulate and she knows her stuff. And so it was just super nice to be sitting next to someone who was so calm, but knew what she was doing. And then I was also next to Ryan Carey, who is, you know, famous at Memory Blue. <laughs> and I think his confidence like helped me go a long way. I remember like I was super nervous to like pick up the phone when I was calling on my client Pixum at the time and he's like give me the phone like I'll do it like watch I'm just gonna do it (laughs) he was he was selling electric vehicle chargers like he had no clue what he was doing and he was just like I'll do it and then I was kind of like what the heck like if he's just gonna do it I'm gonna do it like I actually know what I'm selling so you know and then like me him Katie and a few other people were like became like a really tight group so every time someone gets a pickup everyone behind you is like let's go like behind you and like it was just like a wicked fun environment in the corner of the boston office rob was there it was just it was very exciting and you do learn a lot from the people so like katie i learned the cybersecurity side ryan i learned the pure confidence and then it became like a competition between the two of i fighting for the top of the board for months on end so it was like it was a friendly competition though of course. Yeah. It's what we want to encourage is an environment where you've got people supporting you, even though you're on different clients, but you're at that stage of your professional development where you need that support because that's how you get better. Cause it's a very hard job. It's not easy. Right. It's not easy, but you have to want it. If you don't want it, it's not for you. You got to want to be the best and you got to want to beat your friends out for the top position. If you're okay with just hitting your numbers or sitting at 80% of your quota, like maybe sales isn't for you. And if you want it, it's super fun and it's super awesome and it's exciting and it's crazy. And even now, like I've booked thousand meetings in my career over the last year and a half. I booked a meeting today and I still get all amped up about it. It never, the adrenaline rush never goes away. That's great. You're your employer wants to hear. It's amazing, but it's true. <laughs> no, it really is true. I, I I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it, but the, the adrenaline rush, like once you, it's addicting. Okay. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'm not going to lie. I've been doing it for a while. So talk to us a little bit. I think you, you were on a uh, initial campaign and then, and then you got switched. Talk a little yeah. bit about. So when I first started, I was on a client called Pixum. I was one sales guy, me and Jonathan Duffy were both on Pixum. Yep, Duffy. We both were on Pixum. We called each other Pixum pals. We both were killing it. You know, I was the top of the leaderboard every single month. Loved it, loved it, loved it. You know, finally got the hang of it. Finally was co- confident. And Rob comes to me and is like, Pixum is, you know, not renewing their contract. Yada, yada, yada. I thought, I took it personally, thought it was because of me, but they just, you know, were rebuilding, kind of going under. It didn't happen. So I finished out like two more months on Pixum while 
Duffy got put on to Sneak with a few other people in the Boston office. And I just remember everyone was complaining about Sneak that it was, there's three guys on it and they all were on cybersecurity like clients before. And they were all like, oh no, we, this is so hard. Like I can't sell us. I can't sell us. I can't sell us. They weren't booking meetings. They weren't hitting their numbers. And I was like, what the heck? So then Jeremy, I'm like, all right, fine. Like I knew there was a position open for NLX, the car chargers. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go over there and beat Ryan Carey. And I like thought I was going to do it. Jeremy calls me into his office with Rob. And he's like, Carly, you're going on sneak. And I, I like, my stomach like dropped. And I was like, Jeremy, I was like really upset. And I was like, you're setting me up for failure. And he was like, Carly, no, I'm not. And I was like, you're setting me up for failure. Like I'm going from making all this money, being at the top, hitting 200% of my quota every single month. to now I'm going to go on the client where these guys can't even sell it. These guys are so smart. They know what they're talking about. They're so articulate and they can't sell it. Like you're literally setting me up for failure. I can't do it. And he was like, Carly, just like go home, like take the night and we can talk tomorrow. So I was like, okay, fine. And he was like, the next day I go into his office. I'm like dreading it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go in and talk to him I don't want to do it I sat down he's like do you want Robin here and I was like can like we just talk or whatever and he was like yeah of course so we talked and he's like you know I wouldn't say up for failure I will be there every step of the way like to help you like what do you need like you can do this and I was like all mad but I was like okay fine I'm just gonna do it and I'm not gonna get it and I'm gonna fail and like was just like okay and then kind of like 20 minutes later I was like you know what I'm gonna prove them wrong like I just started watching like demos online and like, listening to calls and reached out to the team in Virginia that was selling sneak already at memory blue and was like you know what I'm just gonna do what I need to do and Jeremy was awesome we had plenty of calls with Simone's team about what we were gonna how we were gonna do better because nobody was hitting their numbers like what are we gonna do our messaging and so it just it, it worked and it took off and I got put on sneak in February and they offered to hire me out in April yeah wow. where did that fear come from though of not being able to do it I mean you kind of described it but what not you know because you're describing in the moment fear but now looking back on it, were you just afraid yeah, of failure? Yeah, I was afraid of failure. And I guess I didn't have that confidence in myself because I was still so new in my sales journey that, you know, to go from killing it, I'm like, I'm not, I don't even know sales. Like, I'm killing it at this client. Like, I'm not going to kill it at this next one. Like, there's no way, like, I can be, you know, I was just good at selling this one product. I'm not going to be good at, you know, selling this other product. But, you know, once I learned sneak and learned what value it really did have to people and how once I got someone onto that discovery call in that demo, they loved it. And so I think that's what helped my confidence. And finally, I was like, you know what, like, just because the guys can't do it doesn't mean I can't do it. You know, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have looked at it that way, because obviously, someone's gonna have to do it. So why can't it be me? And it was, you know, I had a lack of confidence in myself in those like three days, but now I wouldn't change it. Excellent. And so what was the solution that you were selling previously before you moved into cybersecurity? Yeah, so I was selling Pixum. It was a phishing prevention platform. So like when employees click on email links and it comes from Netflix.com, but it's not really Netflix as a phishing attempt. I was calling on hospitals to, so their employees, like, because that's where the valuable data was, to, so their employees didn't click on these, you know, scam emails that they were getting to have their company's information leaked. So, so it made, that made sense in my head. Like that, yeah. I get that. Like I lived that. And then Sneak sells this open source security platform to developers that has container security, infrastructure as code security and static application testing. And I was like, huh? Like what? <laughs> like, I don't, what are you like software developers? Like they're coding. I, I was just like, what is going on? So I think I that was you. scary because it didn't make sense in my head at the time of what I was selling. So I was like, I need to know what I'm selling. And I didn't understand it. So that was like the big struggle. And I think that's where the confidence went that I didn't, it wasn't like grasping in my head what I was actually trying to sell was the issue. So both solutions were in the broad cybersecurity mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I uh, thought industry. Like, yeah, so I thought like, oh, a cybersecurity, I can go from one cybersecurity company to another, not knowing, you know, how big the cybersecurity space is and how many different tools and the scope of it. So once I learned that, I was like, okay, like cybersecurity is tough, but I kind of liked being in cybersecurity because I was like, okay, I went to school for criminal justice, like security, there's a little overlap there. And like, I love being in cybersecurity and I don't think I'll ever leave cybersecurity now. That's great. Well, now, you, and you talk, you talk uh, something that's critical from people who are first entering sales, and that's like business to consumer. Not that, not that the, what your original solution was business consumer, but you yourself could relate in that, hey, I have email, and mm-hmm. I've, I've received these phony emails, and so you can relate to it immediately, which is uh, right. coming out of college, a lot of students are like, I, I know about iPhones, I know about this technology because they're consumers. But then when you moved on to Sneak, that's a total business to business application where you're talking about developers and and in all the things that they mm-hmm. do that you, you would have never experienced. Right. And so you, you had to cross that chasm, if you will, but you were able to do that. And talk a little bit about how you were able to fight through that. Yeah. So at first it was a lot of just like, okay, like what is sneak and who needs sneak? Cause ultimately you need to find out who needs it. Right. And the tough thing about sneak is security teams need it, but developers are the ones who use it. So a big objection that I still get is, you know, you call a director of software engineering cause his team's the one who would be using sneak. He's like, I'm not in charge of any security tools. You call the CISO of a company and he's, oh, I don't care what developers are doing. I don't want developers even be in charge of security at all. So it was a big, once I figured out the value out of bridging that gap between developers and security teams, because saving companies money by bridging that gap, it started to make more sense. So I just kind of, I was trying to understand the whole product and how the developer used it when I needed to just take a big step back and look at the general overview of what are we actually solving? Not who's using it, how they're using it, why they're using it. It's, you know, what am I solving? Like what gap are we bridging? So that was like the biggest thing for me is kind of like, okay, don't get lost in how the product integrates and where it sits in the software development lifecycle, you know, at first, take that general step back and where is it needed? Why and who? And then once you can have that confidence of like, okay, I know what gap I'm bridging. So again, it goes to that confidence piece that I'm talking about. I, I know what gap I'm bridging. So now I can value prop that to this, the developer side and the security side, and then, you know, get technical as every day goes along but at first you don't need to know exactly what your product does but you need to know what it solves are you looking to join an industry with unlimited professional opportunity it has never been a better time than right now to start a lucrative career in high-tech sales memory blue has launched hundreds of careers for accomplished high-tech sales professionals from our offices coast to coast and right now we're in hiring mode Working with us will accelerate your professional growth and place you on a path to success early in your sales career. You'll get world-class training through the Memory Blue Academy program and sharpen those skills with ongoing mentorship and coaching from our seasoned sales leaders. Memory Blue is an expansion mode and we have immediate openings in all of our offices. We have been named one of the fastest growing private companies in the US by Inc. Magazine for eight straight years. Our award-winning culture has been recognized by third-party industry groups as the best in the business, as we routinely add unbelievable benefits and rewards for our team. To learn more and apply to any of our openings, visit memoryblue.com slash careers today. Yeah, right. Like it's almost like the old, the drill salesperson. They're not selling the torque or, or the cordlessness or, or the bits or any of that stuff. What they're really selling is holes, mm-hmm. right? 
if you can figure out what the hole is in, in, in your solution, focus on that, and then and then you're, you're better off. Talk a little bit about, with the listeners here, because I remember mention, mentioning this to us earlier, about kind of the importance of leaving a, making a great impression, because you never know who's going to change jobs and how that's going to impact your future, and, and the meter's always running. Yeah. So I think in sales, like relationships are always important. You never want to burn bridges. So after, you know, Pixum was no longer a client and didn't really exist anymore, their founder went on to be a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer at a big hospital tech company in San Fran. And, you know, obviously I'm connected with him on LinkedIn. You know, we touch base over text every now and then just kind of popping in. And, you know, you have that rapport and I get to sneak and I'm at sneak full time. I think this was in like maybe September of last year. I get a LinkedIn thing saying that he became the CISO of this hospital in San Fran and San Fran is my territory. So I was like, no nice. way. Like sneak had been, you know, sneak had been trying to break into this account for a while now. And, you know, no one can get in touch. CISOs aren't easily, you know, able to get in touch with. And so I sent him a text message and my rep at the time was like, are you sure you can text him? I'm like, yeah, we literally have that relationship where we can, be on texting basis and he was like yeah of course carly like actually we are looking into this this is something that we need like he didn't just take the meeting out of sympathy or to get the meeting you know done because he understands that point of the sdr role you know step one is getting the meeting you know i really was like are you actively looking for this and he was and now they're about to buy sneak they're in a poc with us yeah so 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 what did ryan carey say after you you you, uh, showed him that one (laughs) Ryan and I are still really, really good friends. We talk all the time. He's rooting for my success, but he's like, well, yeah, I could go sell to him too. Like I could do that too. And that's just (laughs) typical Ryan Carey. He's a sales guy. So he has that confidence. So he, yeah. Carly. So tell us about the evolution of Sundays with Carly. Cause I, I I can't remember when I first heard about this, maybe it was at that happy hour and I was visiting the office, Mm -hmm. but I think you told me, I was like, wait, what, what are you, you're doing what? Yeah, so I was having a lot of success um, and everyone's kind of like, what's your secret? And, you know, I went to my mom when I got put on sneak and I was like, how the heck do I do this? And she was like, you know, Carly, you need to not work the typical nine to five. Think of when people are on their phones. Think of what people are doing. And, you know, nine to five people are in meetings. But, you know, if a sales loft person reached out to me on a Sunday at four o'clock on LinkedIn, I'm way more, I'm sitting on the couch watching the Patriots. I'm more likely to engage with them and hear what they have to say, as opposed to at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning, I don't want to hear a sales pitch. So I kind of took the approach of, you know what, like I'm going to put a lot of my effort in on Sundays, you know, four to seven, what's anyone doing during the winter, whatever time, four to seven on Sunday, you're relaxing, you're hanging out. And I would go through my LinkedIn, you know, send people a message if their mobile number was there, give them a, a call being like, hey, totally didn't expect you to answer. Just shot you a message on LinkedIn. Like when you get a chance, take a look at it. I'll call you back later in the week. But you know, just wanted to kind of stick out and, you know, think that I can add value to you and, you know, leave in 30 seconds. It doesn't have, you don't have to sales pitch them over voicemail, but they're kind of like, Hmm, okay. And, and then at the end, I'm always like, again, like my name is Carly Prunier. If you look me up on LinkedIn, you'll see my message and it really does work. And even if you don't call them, like my response is on Sunday afternoons, if just sending, going through your LinkedIn and someone that you haven't had traction with and you're trying to get that person, you know, you can add value to them. You've already done your value adds to them. You've done your job during the week. Now it's just a matter 
matter of hooking them. And a lot of that comes on Sundays when people aren't working and are more susceptible to talk. I wouldn't just blatantly cold call, you know, a hundred aisles a day on a Sunday because I, you know, that could take people the wrong way. But if you have that warmly, they've connected with you on LinkedIn. You know, they somehow know your name. So you can use that as a little bit of a warm intro. And yeah, don't underestimate the power of a sales Sunday fun day. So you would actually make the call mm-hmm. to some people in certain situations, yep. right? And sometimes you, they'd pick up, sometimes they wouldn't, but that mm-hmm. doesn't really matter, right? Right. It'd be great. It's just more about building that rapport and, you know, creating those human moments with the person. Like, listen, I know it's your Sunday. I'm not going to sales pitch you, but just want to be the first thing in your mind on Monday morning. Like if you could get back to me tomorrow morning, like totally, you know, I kind of want you to be like thinking about it. And, you know, you know, if you hear voicemail being like, oh, I sent you a message on LinkedIn, like odds are you're probably going to, you know, 80% of the time go read that, at least read that message. And if you did your point on adding value in your initial message, they're kind of going to be thinking about you as you, as they like you know go on with their night and they start their monday and then you follow up with them monday afternoon and it's more like oh okay like i they had time to process it and think about it and you know i've seen such success with it it's insane yeah. So I want to I want to talk about this for a second because I think it's important. So I, I I'm a target for a lot of people who want to sell things, mm-hmm. and I, I get a ton of emails. I get some LinkedIn messages. I get very little phone calls. Almost zero voicemail messages. If I got what you do, Carly, an in-mail message and a call and voicemail on a Sunday, it'd be a, such a breath of fresh air because I'm dealing with someone who's hungry and who's a professional. Mm-hmm. And so the likelihood of me returning that call, you would be up, up at the top of my list because you're hungry and you're a professional. Right. And I think even if you don't return my call, because, you know, people like you are super busy. If I did my job and adding that value and I give you a call on Monday being like, hey, Chris, just following up on, you know, the voicemail and message I sent you last night. Did you happen to get a chance to look at it? Like you're going to be way more susceptible to talk to me and be like, "Okay, like, yeah. And if you know, you are the if I did my job looking for the correct persona, my correct target audience, I, you know, bridge that gap of your pain. I think that no person is going to be like, I mean, you'll get the every few that are like, don't contact me. But they're gonna be like, okay, like you did your job and you did add the value. And I see why you're calling me and thank you. Right. And I'll, I'm also, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll also be much more likely to take your call and give you, and if it's not a fit, give you a no, which is everyone's second favorite answer. So you could go and move on. I mean, right. I think your mom, I got back from Boston and I sent your mom, well, I don't know, a LinkedIn message in November of 2019. And she's like serving me up some lessons too. She says, hi, Mark. I told her they are a game changer. It is all about differentiation and you are in what you are willing to do. Are you willing to do the things that others are not? Who really wants to cold call on Sunday? Yet all it takes is one call back and you are willing to do it. And I was like, man, all right, I'm learning from her daughter. I'm learning from her <laughs> What's grandma? Where's grandma? Can I <laughs> teach me some lessons too? So, yeah. you know, what was it? So what's it like now you're in sales and you're, this is a little more personal and you're saying your mom's a VP of sales. What's that? What's that, that, you know, Thanksgiving conversation or, you know, call your mom during the week whenever you talk to your mom, but what's that like now? She's been like the best mentor to me. And like, I can call her and be like, mom, I'm having the worst week. Like I can't book a meeting to save my life. And like, she comes from, she get, you get the mom perspective, but you also get the businesswoman perspective and the VP of sales perspective. And <laughs> it honestly like has been like super nice. Also Ryan Carey is trying to sell my mom memory blue. So let's see if he, <laughs> let's see if he can, clo- let's see if he can, let's see if he can close that one. They're working it. But she's been like the best mentor for me. But also I've helped her. I've done LinkedIn 
trainings for her team. So it's it's been like a good back and forth. And like she, I think she respects like the hustle and she sees the work I put in day in and day out. And it might make her SCRs look a little bad because she like fired them all like four times. You know, she only has a team of like four SCRs and she isn't a fan of them, but she's on to round like three of a whole new group. So Memory Blue is sounding a little good to her. But she, it's, it's a really good balance because if I'm having a hard day and like I think it can go even to like the women in sales perspective like it's so good to have another woman in sales that like gets it and gets like the trying times and you know not that sales is like a man's culture but like it was for a while when you think like even 20 years ago like what the stereotypical you know man's role like sales was a man job and like my mom has just kind of owned that to being like a boss like at it like you know 20 years ago she was you know a VP of sales at Career Builder and all the guys were golfing and she was kind of missing out on the office politics and you know the rates and so she's now a really really good golfer and can go out on those you know she's kind of just taking it in her hand and been like you know what Carly like we gotta get shit done like let's just do this like there's no like poor me or you know you're having a tough week all right well you know send out 20 more personalized emails like is that really gonna ruin your whole night by spending you know 40 minutes on 20 personalized emails like you know like she's kind of that pushing factor but also she knows when to be like you know what just shut your laptop for the day you know it's four o'clock like work those three more hours like if you're frustrated and you're in this bad mindset you're not gonna be like the best salesperson you can be so you know try again tomorrow and she really has helped me have that like balance and let's talk about the women in sales so we get asked by clients quite a bit hey they you know they want to work with women and we look for women to get more into the game kind of curious as to what your take is on, on that and how we can make that happen or you know do that your overall perspective on it Yeah, I'm not biased, but I think women are way better at sales. But I think a lot of it comes down to, again, best relationships you have with your prospects are when you can build that rapport and you're not trying to just sales pitch them. And I think women in themselves are more nurturing and want to learn more and are more eager, like more will listen back to you. And they have that nurturing nature built into them. And, you know, they have that most like have that motherly instinct. So I Mm -hmm. think that comes with building that relationship. And, you know, I tell every like girl in college, like go into sales, like don't be scared like if you can if you have a personality and you want it you can do it but it's you have that skill of like relationship building just kind of like in your blood and I think that that's just a really strong quality that women have that they can build these relationships they are more genuinely curious to you know ask you oh but Mark but why like can I just ask why like and they want to understand more than sometimes men do so I think that plays like a big big part of it and I think that like women in sales is definitely becoming more and more like common but it's it's not always easy and like even now like being in the cybersecurity field like I'm talking to these engineers all day like it's not always easy like sometimes you know you just have to know that there's going to be that one masculine guy that's going to look down on you and be like oh you're a 20 something year old girl like trying to sell me a software like you have no not you're not an engineer you don't know anything and just take that with a grain of salt and be like okay you're right like, like not you're right but like you know what like I do know my stuff and you know I'm not gonna let you prevent me from having the confidence to be good at my job that's a good take for sure and why would you recommend the profession because it's such a good profession to be in and women are so good at it. Like even now, like I see so many top women, top performers and so many women killing it. And I just, sales, I think is meant for women and you shouldn't be scared of, you know, the genuine like masculine culture because it's 2021, like times are changing and like companies are getting better at it. And, you know, like Sneak's doing a great job of hiring so many more like girl engineers and they're, you know, it women's roles are changing and like, don't fall into the, I can't do it because I'm a girl. Like, 
it, that's not a thing anymore. And like, don't let it be a thing if you don't want it to be a thing, because it's so powerful to just be like, yeah, I'm a boss bitch. Like, I want to be the queen. Like, I want to do that. And like, I definitely owe a lot of that to my mom, because that is definitely my mom. That's not a thing anymore, Corcoran. <laughs> Love that. Carly said, that's not a thing anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Extinguished. So, Carly, where do you want to go? Yeah, so I hope to be an account executive at Speak. You know, I'm kind of ready to take those next steps in my sales career. I want to, I, you know, the SDR role is a grind. It's fun. It's exhilarating. But now, like, I want to learn, like, the negotiation aspect. I want to learn, you know, working with legal, working with all these other counterparts that come in behind the scenes that the SDR role doesn't necessarily get to see. And, you know, kind of, I love being responsible for, like, my own fate. Like, SDR managers have it hard because they're, you know, looking at their team's numbers and all that and, like, that's just not something I can see myself doing because I want to be in charge of my own success, my own fate, like what money I make, what I don't. And so I just want to, you know, now hungry for more because I'm, I know that I have the confidence that I'm good at what I do now. And I know that I'm ready to take those next steps into a closing role. So hoping that that comes sooner rather than later. And like, I'm just ready for the next step in my journey and my career and to just take off and, you know, hopefully become, you know, a VP of sales like my mom one day. So Carly, yesterday I led a, a company-wide training for the SDRs and I talked about what I feel is the most important thing to do as an SDR, and that is to develop your skill and become skilled. Talk to the listeners a little bit about how you were able to develop such skill in LinkedIn that it was so obvious that your client, now employer Sneak, said, whoa, 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 I know we've only seen you in action for a very short period of time. Is there any way you can train us? Yeah. So before I even got hired out by Sneak, I did a LinkedIn training for them, for their SDRs internally. So I was still a Memory Blue employee and they asked me and I was obviously like, yeah, of course. I think a lot of it is a mix of common sense and having the ability to understand LinkedIn. So I actually took it upon myself to watch like a few LinkedIn training videos, you know, sales nav videos. I bought sales nav for myself when I was at Memory Blue. And at first I was like 80 bucks a month. Like what the heck? Like I'm not going to pay this. But then I was like killer Katie had it. So I was like, well, I want to be as successful as her. So I guess I'm going to pay the 80 bucks a month for link sales nav. And like, it was just kind of like, okay, like taking things into my own hand, like, what do I need to be successful? Like, what is stopping me? And sales nav was one thing that I didn't have that I thought was stopping me from being successful because, you know, we were doing like prospecting on like Jeremy and Rob's sales nav account. So I was like, you know what? What's 80 bucks if I can, you know, be the top of the leaderboard and be the number one SDR memory blue for a month? Like, you know, you get more money there. So what's the 80 bucks? So it was kind of taking a matter into my own hands and not being like, oh, I don't have the resources or I can't do it. It's what do you need to do it and just figure it out? Like, just take things into your own hands and kind of be like okay like yeah i need this sales nav because prospecting on sales nav is so much better and you know you can see more and you can see the decision makers and you know second and first degree connections and from watching those youtube videos i really did learn that like does matter if you have those second degree connections with them those even third degree connections it really goes a long way with connection requests getting accepted and i knew to effectively do my job i needed to get more connection requests so you know kind of start at the bottom all right what do i need i need to talk to more people so i need more connection requests i need more people to accept me. How am I going to go find more people to accept me? I'm going to, you know, go on sales nav and see who my second and third degree connections are and leverage it that way. So what did, what did sneak when they, when they were your client, what did they see from you that said, Hey, listen, can you train our team? Like what, what did you do that showed them? 
Well, it went back to the Monday mornings when I was coming into a Monday morning meeting or like a Monday morning, you know, we were sent, you know, Rob was sending over the report and I had like five meetings on a Monday with, you know, director of InfoSec or whatnot. They're kind of, and then their internal team was struggling and they're like, what is she doing that, you know, is working that we're not doing? Because they didn't really have an internal training program at the time. So they kind of came to us and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just leveraging LinkedIn and like, I'm more adding value rather than just sales pitching. You know, I start every conversation on LinkedIn with, hey, Chris, thanks for connecting. Just curious, you know, you have open source in your bio. Have you ever heard of Sneak? And I just kind of started a conversation that way instead of being like, hey, Chris, this is what Sneak does. And, you know, instead of throwing it in your face and then you don't even know why I'm actually reaching out. You know, half the time they're like, no, I haven't heard of it. What is it? And you'd be like, oh, well, I would have kind of played like the assumption set. Oh, I assumed you would have heard of it because I saw you work within Kubernetes. Did it. And then they're kind of like, oh, okay, like scratching their head. And if they don't answer, then, you know, I go and sales pitch them. But it was more the diligence that I put on LinkedIn. And a big trick for LinkedIn, I think, is if someone connects with you and it's 8 p.m. on a Monday, don't wait till Tuesday morning to message them and reach out, you know, connect with them. And if you're on your sitting on your phone, scrolling through Instagram, Twitter, whatever, you know, send them a message. It doesn't take long to just even be like, thanks for connecting. Because again, back to building that rapport. Yeah, earlier you were telling telling us speed is critical. Mm -hmm. Speed to respond is absolutely critical. And you're on that. If you're on your phone on a weekend or at night and on Instagram and you see someone, you immediately respond to them. Yeah, it, you have to get them while they're responsive. And like, you know, you sales, you're like, oh, have you heard of Sneak? No, what does Sneak do? And they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. You tell me more. And you don't answer them for 12 hours. That might not be interesting to them anymore. You know, it's right. kind of like a conversation. Like we're having a conversation right now. Tomorrow morning, you know, this said conversation is probably not relevant to me anymore that it was right now and I'm engaged and active in it. So it, it's it's a lot about speed. I mean, obviously there's times when you're not on your phone, you're not going to answer and that's not the end of the world. But if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, Chris Corkin just connected with me on LinkedIn. I'm going to go say, hey, Chris, thanks for connecting. It, what does that take 10 seconds out of my day? Right. So, again, wow. uh, just go ahead. I was going to say, uh, talk, talk to the listeners a little bit about your kind of approach in, I guess, the casual Carly. Yeah. So I think it goes back to just having that conversation. You know, I, every meeting I've gotten LinkedIn started with, have you ever heard of Sneak? And like, if they don't answer me, but every single prospect, like I have like 6,000 LinkedIn connections right now, every single one that, you know, is relevant title to me, I've messaged, have you ever heard of Sneak? No. Yes. Again, we said like, no, is the second best answer. You know, you're still in a conversation with them. So, you know, they're seeing your messages, you know, their name's warm. So it's more just being like, you know, have you like, ha I'm, I'm reaching out because I know my product's good. I know Sneak sells and Sneak can sell itself once I add that value. So it's having a conversation. Oh, well, how are you like, it's kind of like LinkedIn, a lot of times people take it as like, oh, I need to send them a paragraph to sales pitch it when instead, they're not taking it as a conversation. Like if you're on the phone, you know, if you're on the phone, you're going to be like, oh, how are you finding vulnerabilities? You're not gonna just sales pitch them right away. So again, like to what I learned at memory blue, like you need to ask those questions. So if you start getting on a conversation with someone on LinkedIn, be like, oh, well, how, you know, are you using any open source code? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, like, how are you finding your vulnerabilities? You're like, oh, well, actually, we're doing this. I don't come off as a salesperson. They just think that I'm talking to them. Also, a tip for SDRs, I would say, is every single person on their LinkedIn header should not have sales development representative. Like, have what you're selling. So, like, mine says, like, DevSecOps, application security. Because people, when you send a connection request to someone and they see the sales development rep, that has such a bad connotation to it, unfortunately. Your connection request is not likely to get accepted. But if it's, you know, DevSecOps and a CISO sees that on his connect, he's more likely to connect with me than just seeing sales development rep as that, like, initial header on your LinkedIn. So that's my little tip.
That's a great one. So talk a little bit about you, you use every approach, right? You use the mm -hmm. phone, you use LinkedIn. Uh, you've also talked about voicemails and leaving mm -hmm. voicemail as mm -hmm. well as texting. Talk a little bit about how you incorporate voicemail messages and text texting into your prospecting. Yeah. And I think another one that I might have not even mentioned before, a huge one is a video message on LinkedIn, just to show like, just being like, Hey, like just putting a face to the name. Cause in LinkedIn on, on your phone app, you can do a video recording of yourself. A lot of times people love that because one, you're standing out two, it's not, a, they're going to click play no matter what. And they're kind of going to listen to it and you can see if they listen to it or it tells you like how long they listen to it. So that's a big one voicemails. And then like texting, once you've built the rapport, like a lot of times, like I'm calling mobile numbers that I'm getting from zoom info if you know the conversation goes bad i just send them a text being like hey sorry i caught you at a bad time like thanks for your time today and then don't pitch them then and then you know usually they're not going to answer that but i've booked a message you know by texting them being like hey like i mean everyone nowadays their favorite form of communication is texting so you have to know when to not overstep your boundaries if you haven't had any warm communication with them i wouldn't really try texting as your option but catch them on the phone and they say hey it's a bad time you know just send a little thank you note thank you notes go like a long way just for even answering your call yeah, don't just stick to one form. If LinkedIn's not working, because everyone has their ups and downs, like you can't just look at it and be like, oh, well, no one's answering my LinkedIn messages. That's that. You, like, if you want to be good at this job, you can't just stick to one form of, you know, messaging. You can't just stick to cold calls. You can't just stick to voicemails. But if you're doing enough without becoming pushy and adding value, you know, over LinkedIn, over, you know, voicemail, and kind of making them more familiar that they feel like they know you, it goes a long way. Yeah, this, this, uh, that reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the, the old question of what does Carly Prunier do to be successful? Whatever it takes. So it's amazing to hear. I, I, I don't want to speak, but I will on behalf of all the memory blue SDRs. They're probably pretty happy that they don't have to compete with you anymore. <laughs> well, thank you. That's a compliment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, you you do, it's, the, you have that burning desire to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. You're the one who's going to go out there and do the things on the Sunday. You're the one who's going to go and buy yourself LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and you're going to go and figure out a way to make it happen. And that can't be taught. Yeah, it's a want. Totally. It's definitely a want. I think what's so interesting too, Carly, is for someone who's left the company, I mean, you didn't leave us that long ago. Yeah. May, I think maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. give or take and you have and maybe it was the fact that you were fortunate enough to work you know in the core system for two years so you have a different perspective than some of the people who started at memory blue right out of school but I, that certainly helped but i think the key thing with you is a lot of people see the initial rejection as like the ultimate answer and then it's over versus even when you when the person says no i have her sneaker they get a no you're like that doesn't even really matter that's irrelevant to this because i'm already in a dialogue with you yeah i don't care <laughs> <laughs> you don't care, and, it, but, and, and you sh and you shouldn't. But I think for people who are newer to the game, or maybe are just working as hard to understand it as quickly as you did with mm -hmm. Kat, with, with uh, Katie and like Carrie sitting next to you and everyone else in that office, you're like, well, no, 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 I'm looking past that, and then I'm looking to well, we're in a dialogue now, and how can I, you know, how can I bring value to you in this dialogue? Versus some people may get the no, and they're like, oh, they're head for the hills because of and, inexperience or whatever. Yeah. And it, it goes to being organized too, because if someone tells you no, that's an answer. And you know, maybe it's a no right now, but in two months it might not be a no. So like, I keep a right. list of everyone who's told me no, like go screw. Like there, there could be a need at some point. And you, it's so hard in this job when you're making a hundred cold calls and you're getting seven pickups a day. At least you know in two months, like you're more confident in what you're selling. You got to know. You know that person's gonna, you know, your their, their likelihood of them connecting with you at least on the phone is great. And they probably don't even remember if they just, you know, cold flat right. said no. So just go back for it. Like go ever give up and don't let that rejection be like oh no this person was a jerk the first time i talked to them like call them again in two weeks call them again in two months like it, it doesn't matter 
Yeah, and in cyber things change so quickly, like just with the gas oil pipeline shut down. I mean, I bet those guys are probably taking calls now, right? right? So it, it, that's a very good perspective on it. And I think that's one you only get by working hard and kind of seeing through the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Exactly. Excellent. Hey, Carly, before we run, what what advice would you give to an SDR who's who's going to start their career on Monday? Like what what advice would you give that person? That it's going to be a grind. And the grind will be worth it if you are just a sponge and you absorb everything that you possibly can. But if you're overwhelmed to also take a step back, take that hour walk at lunch, you know, don't feel like you need to overpower yourself with everything right away, because that was one of my biggest flaws. It's like, you know, I wanted to just know it and do it, you know, take that time back and step back and look at the big picture and just be a sponge and don't take no for an answer and just go get it. Like you just, if you want it, it will come and just absorb all the training that you get because like memory blue is so good at that. And like, I, like I owe my whole life to like memory blue now because like, I really do because like, I wouldn't be in this field. And like, you know, if I had like interviewed at a sales job with, you know, said company didn't, you know, just got kind of thrown into their BDR program without going through memory blue, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have been nearly as successful as I am today. And, you know, go into every cold call with the confidence that you're going to book that person. You know, don't just dial to dial and ghost them to get your 100 metrics. Like, that's not going to help you as a salesperson. So be a sponge, you know, know when to take a step back and just face that rejection and take it with a grain of salt. I will say that there's a lot of truth to what you said. And I'm worth, Chris and I are fortunate to have ballers like Jeremy Wood and Rob work for us. And like Jeremy had the experience because he was an SDR once mm-hmm. of being on a campaign or going on a new campaign and you're, and you're scared shitless and you don't know what to do. And you know, you, you're, you, you don't want to go on it, but uh, Jeremy did a good job working with you through that. And so did Rob, but then you also did a good job of like not taking it. And I'll say it again, heading for the Hills. Like you came back right. the next day, sat into his office and then you kind of just re refocused so right. Chris and I are fortunate to have you work for us. And I'm thankful that you were able to work for Jeremy and, and Rob because it's, it's, a, it's a team effort. Definitely. It's a family now. There you go. Well, thank you, Carly. We'll have to do this again. Maybe we'll get your mom on next time. We'll do a, You guys can both break it down for Chris and I all uh, at once. She would love that. Don't even, don't even tease her with that. She would do it in five seconds. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get you back in a, in a little while, a couple of years after you've, or, or sooner after you've kind of moved up the food chain, you start closing, negotiating, closing down, bringing down deals yourself. Yes. Hopefully sooner rather than later then. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Carly, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com academy. for listening to tech sales is for hustlers please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep